beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Discipleship, what is that? Is it even possible to be a disciple of our Savior even if he is now in heaven? And to learn about this, let's focus on what he revealed about himself. By his words and his example, he taught his followers some essential lessons about discipleship. And a key ingredient is the theme, love for God and love for those around us. At the time of our text, Jesus has withdrawn from the crowds to be alone with his disciples. And they are going to celebrate the Passover feast together. Everything has been made ready. He knows that the end of his ministry on earth is approaching, and before long, his sufferings will reach a climax. But he knows that this path of suffering will lead to the Father. Our Savior has shown his love to his disciples during his ministry, and they've been confronted with it continually. John emphasizes this at the beginning of chapter 13. Love motivated him throughout his whole life. Love. It did not diminish in the face of increasing sufferings. And we see this reflected during his last hours with his disciples. John notes he loved them to the end. And the disciples still had a lot to learn. Even in the last hours of his life, Jesus continued to be their teacher. He didn't lose patience with them. He kept on teaching them by words and by his example. In his final hours with his disciples, he showed his love in even fuller glory. And those disciples did not yet understand much of the nature of his love. Judas Iscariot, least of all. He had already followed the prompting of the devil to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew this just as he knew that his life was coming to an end. In the passage we read together, our Savior gives his followers a visible lesson to illustrate his teaching. He wants to leave a final and lasting impression in their minds. We need to see our text in this light. Jesus teaches his followers about discipleship. That's the theme. We'll focus on two points, what he did, and secondly, what this means. Jesus teaches his followers about discipleship. We'll reflect on what he did and what this means. Many of you might wear sandals when the weather is warm. Or maybe you are one who likes going around on bare feet. Walking around in sandals or on bare feet was quite normal in New Testament times. And walking from place to place in this way makes feet dusty and dirty. A polite host in those days would give guests guests the opportunity to have their feet washed before a meal. And washing someone's dirty feet was regarded as work for the lowest of slaves. 
Apparently, such a slave was not around when Jesus and his disciples arrived for their Passover supper. And none of the disciples felt like humbling himself to do the work of a slave. Their thoughts were not focused on serving, but on ruling. In Luke 22, verse 24, we read about their mindset at the final Passover supper with Jesus. Apparently, they had quite an argument as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Undoubtedly, they were thinking about the coming kingdom of which Jesus would be the king. And who would then receive the highest position of honor and power? And with thoughts circling around such questions, none of the disciples felt obliged to take on the task of a slave, washing the feet of others. Wouldn't that amount to an admission of inferiority? None of them was willing to do that. Step by step, John describes what Jesus did to change the thinking of his disciples. His actions were very deliberate. He was very aware of his position as the Son of God. And he knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. And looking back, the Apostle John realizes this. It gives further depth to what happened during that Last Supper. Imagine the scene. Jesus gets up. He takes off his outer clothing. What's left is a loincloth. He looks like a slave. And Jesus wraps a towel around his waist and pours some water into a basin. And he goes over to his disciples and starts to wash their feet. Amazing. He can do this without much difficulty because they're reclining at the table, not sitting on the chairs. And so he goes around washing their feet and drying them with the towel around his waist. And there's a silent reproach in what Jesus is doing here. No one wanted to humble himself to do menial work. But even at this point, his silent deed is not enough to change their attitude. We don't read of even one of the disciples saying, Master, you shouldn't be doing this. Let me do it instead. Why are they reluctant to take his place? They're still motivated by pride. Being the first to jump up could be interpreted as a willingness to be the least among them. None of them wants to be the least. Their selfish ambitions prevent them from humbling themselves. Brothers and sisters, do you see the painful contrast here between Jesus and his disciples? Jesus is very much conscious of his divine origin and his glorious future. He is the living word of God who is with God at the beginning of creation and who is God himself. The Apostle John tells us this at the beginning of his account of the gospel. 
Jesus Christ is the word of God who became flesh. He humbled himself by being born as a human being. He continued to humble himself throughout his life to the point of death on the cross. Not long after our text, he will let himself be nailed to the cross for the salvation of sinners. He will suffer the agonies of hell to redeem us from everlasting damnation. Jesus has ministered to his disciples and others for three years now. But they still don't understand what he's doing. They're full of themselves. And that's why they can't react appropriately to the situation that now takes place. Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God, God himself is washing and drying their feet. And those disciples are sinners like you and me. He is doing the work of a slave for them. Although he has the right to the highest position on earth and in heaven. Our Savior is doing more here than giving his disciples an incidental moral lesson. He is consciously confronting them with their own spiritual poverty and narrow-mindedness. Don't they call him teacher and Lord? Yes, they do. And it's right. And now, as their Lord, he is humbling himself, giving them a vivid, unforgettable example for them to follow in the future. And for this to make sense to them, they will need to understand what he is getting at. When Jesus comes to Peter, Peter feels quite embarrassed by what is happening. Remember, he's the one who confessed earlier, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. There's no doubt about that in his mind. So when Jesus comes to wash Peter's feet, he objects. He would be willing to have his feet washed by another disciple. But Jesus is clearly his master. Lord, do you wash my feet? Peter doesn't understand what's going on at all. This is a complete reversal of the roles. It's unthinkable, incomprehensible. But Jesus answers him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And meanwhile, Peter must submit to the loving ministry of his master. And this assurance that he'll understand later is not enough for Peter. You shall never wash my feet. The authoritative words of our Lord do not change his attitude. Peter rebels at the idea of having his master take on the role of a servant. He insists on dictating to his master what should be going on. 
And this is not the first time Peter has tried to prevent Jesus Christ from continuing along the path of self-humiliation. He doesn't want the Lord to take the path of sufferings leading to death on the cross. He resists the truth that this is the route to glory for Jesus Christ. He still has not learned to let divine wisdom instead of human understanding govern his behavior completely. And Jesus maintains his position as Peter's Lord. Peter needs to listen to instruction so that he can understand what Jesus is doing. Then he will be able to apply this lesson in his own life. And for this reason, Jesus insists on Peter's submission. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Christ would disown him as disciple if Peter would insist on maintaining worldly standards in the church. And Peter's reaction is immediate and extreme. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus rejects this extreme and proceeds to move to the heart of the matter. As he speaks, it becomes clear that his deeds and words have a deeper meaning. Jesus says to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Jesus is referring here to Judas Iscariot, who was to betray him. Aside from Judas, the disciples are clean. They have already been bathed by Jesus Christ. And the reference to bathing has a spiritual meaning. Jesus is referring to what is called the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit in Titus 3 verse 5. And this washing has a permanent result on them. They were dead in sin, but they have been made alive. Regeneration involves becoming alive spiritually. And as a result, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Our hearts change. We become willing to do the will of God. If you've been born again, this doesn't mean you won't need further cleansing. It doesn't mean there's no need for daily repentance. As we walk along the path of life, we still sin in many ways. And this is why Jesus insists that the feet of his disciples need to be washed. It's an illustration pointing to the need for ongoing sanctification, ongoing cleansing. Jesus is saying to his disciples, a radical change has taken place in your lives. You are now clean, reborn, but you still sin. You've been walking with me, but your feet have become dirty. 
You therefore need me to wash that dirt away. And what Jesus Christ is saying here continues to apply to us today. Every church member needs to be born again. But we also need ongoing cleansing. And only Jesus Christ can do this for us. In the passage we read, we see the disciples lacking the love that they need for each other. Their daily sins are like the dust and dirt clinging to their feet. And now as he washes their feet, he proclaims to them and to us the spiritual importance of what he is doing. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Judas has been with Jesus, but this has not touched his heart and his life. Never forget what Jesus said about him. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And this remark is meant as a warning for the church of all ages. Being a church member, hearing Jesus' words and seeing his works does not automatically guarantee salvation. (coughs) You need to be bathed. You need to be born again through his spirit and word. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. He is the God-given Savior. We need to be washed by his blood and spirit. His blood had to flow on the cross. And that sacrifice is the reason for the forgiveness of the sins of his disciples and of our sins. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you may be assured that you will not perish. Our Lord deals with our sins. He also deals with our sinfulness. He knows we need ongoing cleansing. That's why he washed the feet of his disciples. It reminds us of our need to be washed again and again by the Spirit of Christ. And when we sin, we should therefore not only ask for forgiveness, we should also pray for the ongoing cleansing and renewal of our hearts by His Spirit. We should pray for more strength to live for the Lord. And on the basis of such complete cleansing, our love for him and for each other can blossom. Jesus teaches his followers about discipleship. We have focused on what he did at that last supper. Let's now explore what this means for our interaction with each other. By washing the feet of his disciples, 
Christ highlighted the fact that he came to serve. His humiliation, his suffering and death were essential elements of his ministry on earth. And the disciples needed to understand how important Christ's humiliation is. The Son of God had to humble himself and become a man. Otherwise, he could never be our Savior. And Christ showed humility by washing the feet of his disciples. And that same humility would lead him to die for them and for us on the cross. The water in the basin at their feet and the blood dripping from his body on the cross have the same message. There is cleansing of sin through Jesus Christ. And that's the only way for God and sinners to be reconciled. Sin has to be atoned for. It has to be paid for and thereby done away with. That's the only way for the relationship with God to be restored. And love motivated Jesus Christ to humble himself to the point of dying for us. <clears throat> and that same love, humble love, should motivate us as his followers. Jesus makes that point in John 13, the verses 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And the point is not that self-sacrificing behavior on our part will save people from their sins. But it can lead them to the one who can save them from their sins. And by our words and example, we therefore need to demonstrate Christ-like behavior. Not merely by being willing to wash each other's feet. Rather, we must let our Savior rid us of all selfish pride and ambition. How else can we be true disciples of our Master? Rejoice in the meekness and love of Christ, our King. He breaks the power of pride and ambition in the hearts of his disciples. And he doesn't do this by a command from a position high above us. Look at what he did for his disciples. By washing their feet, our Lord showed them their sinfulness. And at the same time, he taught them that he came to cleanse them of their sins. His sanctifying, purifying love is able to move his followers to demonstrate self-denying love in the future. And that's why he commanded them, if I then, 
your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. They saw his example. Now they had to follow him. Some people have misunderstood what Jesus meant here. He was not instituting a special ceremony for the church of all ages to put into practice. He was revealing this style that should characterize the life of the whole church. We should all remember this. If we are driven by selfish motives, what the Apostle Paul calls the works of the flesh will become evident. He describes some of the symptoms in Galatians 5, the verses 19 to 21. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, this is not an exhaustive list. It's only meant to give you the general picture. And where you see things like that going on, Christ is not central in that person's life. And that's why the Apostle Paul continues with a warning. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. By washing the feet of his disciples, our Lord has given a different example. It goes against the grain of our human nature. And praise the Lord that he goes beyond simply giving us an example to follow. His death on the cross as our mediator is meant to bear fruit. And as a result, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. And through faith in him, our relationship with God is restored. We have peace with God. And through Christ, we also learn to live in peace with each other. We learn to show a humble, forgiving, and serving spirit in our dealings with each other. This is what he showed his disciples. And this is what he wants us to do. This is what he equips us to do. Christian love expresses itself through service. Are you willing to serve in a humble way? There's no room here for condescending pride. Wash each other's feet. In other words, be willing to serve each other in humble ways. This command applies to each one of us. How can you show serving love to others at home? Think about it, boys and girls. Are you willing to do simple tasks like washing the dishes or vacuum cleaning? What about at school? 
Do you help if you see someone struggling to keep up with a subject that you are good at? If you see some garbage on the floor in the class or in the hallway, do you pick it up and put it in the garbage can? Or is that below your dignity? Christ, our King, commands us to follow him. And we can't imitate Christ in his work as Savior. But he does call us to action on the basis of his saving grace. Out of thankfulness to him, let's therefore be willing to serve in a spirit of love. At home and outside the home, there are lots of opportunities. The weaknesses of others should not cause us to look down on them. Are we really better than them? Don't we all have to rely on the grace of God through Jesus Christ? Christ saw the weaknesses and sins of his disciples. And he didn't turn away from them in disgust. In those last hours preceding his death on the cross, he kept loving them despite their shortcomings. We all need that love. And let's not withhold it from each other either. Let's be patient with each other. Jesus Christ sealed the testimony of his love by dying on the cross as the servant of the Lord. And his love is proclaimed to you. Let yourselves be governed by it. Live for him from day to day. And reflect the love of our Savior through humble service. Do you love to serve? Do you serve in order to show love? That's what he wants us to do. And when we obey, he uses our loving service for furthering the cause of the gospel. We read that in John 13, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And by following the example of our Savior, we are pursuing a beautiful goal. Let his love permeate all our relationships. What a way to honor him. Knowing that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples is not enough. Knowing the meaning of what he did is not enough either. He says in John 13, verse 17, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's a condition to receiving a blessing as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to listen to the gospel every week. Only talking about the good news is also not going to get us very far spiritually either. We need to obey the will of Christ. Then 
we will be blessed. That's his promise. And what a promise that is. But there's also an implied warning. You won't be blessed if you don't obey Christ in loving service. If you don't feel quite at home in the congregation, pay special attention now. You ever find yourself complaining about how cold the communion of saints is? Then it's time to examine your own attitude and behavior. Why are you not being blessed in the church? Is it really everyone else's fault? Have you been doing what Christ commands in our text? Are you making a consistent, ongoing effort to show love to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are you waiting to be served? Are you too proud to humble yourself to the level of Christ's example? If so, you have not yet understood the purpose of his self-sacrificing love. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ requires humble faith. Believing in him also calls for the humble response of faith. Remember what he did and what it means for us. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen.